Imagine you're standing on a clifftop. The equivalent of an eight-storey building. You're looking down at the water, impossibly far away. Maybe your toes are curling over the edge. This is what you do for a living. You're preparing to compete at the Red Bull Cliff Diving World Series and you've done this hundreds of times. And yet, once again, you're feeling utterly sick. There's a reason why even professionals with long track records of success can't escape the feeling of fear as they work at such heights. At any given point in time, your brain is processing a number of signals just to help you keep your balance. The feeling of the ground beneath your feet, the vestibular system in your inner ear, and of course, vision. All of that can get a little confused when you look down from a great height. You're listening to Beyond the Ordinary from Red Bull. My name's Nick Bright, and throughout this episode, we'll explore what it means for athletes to operate at extreme height, bringing in experts and athletes to delve into the psychology of fear. Everyone's thinking it. It can happen on any dive at any time. It doesn't have to be the hardest dive. Just get lost in the air. Something clouds, something changes. You can smack on any dive. It's not for everyone. You have to really have a love of the sport and, uh, and be really self-motivated. What can we do in the moment to not overthink, not underthink, not worry about what it means, what it doesn't mean, who's watching? And remember, if you want more stories from Beyond the Ordinary, make sure you follow us on Apple, Spotify, Amazon, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Dr. Jamie Barker, I'm Senior Lecturer in Sport and Exercise Psychology at Loughborough University. Jamie works with athletes and people from professions where there is an element of the extraordinary about their day job. He's used to working with fear. If you think about where fear evolves from, when we were running around being chased by saber-toothed tigers... The popular parlance is fight or flight, you know, so we have two options. We either stand and fight or run away to fight another day. What happens there is, you know, we get lots of hormone changes. We get an increase in blood flow. We get a release of either adrenaline or cortisol. So that's broadly, I guess, where it's kind of come from. So it is evolutionary. It's protective. So what is a fear response is to protect us to say, actually, there's, there's some uncertainty here. This might lead to some sort of injury or accident. But we also know that, that fear, particularly the fear of failure, can be particularly motivational. To enable people to perform, they firstly probably need to appraise the fear and then secondly need to develop strategies to enable them to overcome that fear because we know that fear can, for example, be very paralysing. That rabbit in headlights, you know, too much information possibly as well too many things to think about paralysis by analysis the more i think the worse it gets so how can an athlete work to get over or offset that fear all crew approximately five minute warning meet rihanna nifland she's an australian high diver and champion of the red bull cliff diving world series four years in a row between 2016 and 2019 with the COVID-19 pandemic shutting down competition last year, Rhiannon had a bold new idea. We're arriving at Three Mile Dam and I am going to attempt to become the first female to dive out of a hot air balloon. It's an idea that I came up with at the beginning of the year and considering there was no events able to happen this year due to the circumstances, I thought this would be 
the perfect opportunity um, to make it happen. To be honest, when I first found out that the 2020 season was cancelled, I was honestly, I wasn't surprised, but I was in shock. I was really excited to compete in 2020 because I wanted to continue to ride the same wave of confidence that I was on in uh, 2019. Brianna Niflin, unstoppable, unmatchable. Two tens. On fire this season. The stats are just insane right now and well-deserved. Diving out of a moving hot air balloon means your diving platform's not stationary, but moving. It's something new and nerves are heightened. But before the dive, Rhiannon has her own way of managing nerves. It's a bit too early to be nervous. I actually try not to get nervous until I'm actually standing there. But we're, we're having a little run through, going through a little safety brief and what's gonna happen tomorrow and yeah, it kind of gets sorted and ready to be in the moment. Everyone's thinking it. We're all, no one wants to do it. Come out any dive at any time. This is the voice of Amy Harrison, Canadian cliff diver and Red Bull cliff diving competitor. She's also studying for her master's in behavioral neuroscience at the University of Victoria. She explains how groups of athletes have an unwritten rule. It's fine to joke, but only to a point. It doesn't have to be the hardest dive. It can be an easy dive where uh, you just get lost in the air. Something clouds, something changes. Mm -hmm. For whatever reason, mm -hmm. you can smack on any dive. You can totally blank. You can forget what you're doing. Um, so we're all thinking it and we're all feeling it. I think I, I can speak on most of our behalfs and, and saying that. So we don't... We don't talk about smacking. I think sometimes people will say, I'm, I'm nervous that I'm gonna forget what I'm doing along, along those lines. And they say it to the friend and then it's just positive reinforcement. Like, you know, you know what you're doing. It's not so, it's a, it's a very extreme situation. So there's not a lot of joking about bad things happening up there. Jamie Barker gives us the psychologist's perspective. And I think one of the things that we, sort of here in psychology a lot is the power of don't you know don't fall off don't make a mistake but of course that is very ironic and we know that if i said to you now don't think of a pink elephant you're thinking of a pink elephant so so often the power of irony and the power of don't in our self-talk and how we communicate can be very hampering and can be very unhelpful we can develop ways in which we can help people to i guess reduce the negative thoughts that would go in there get them to focus on cues that are relevant and helpful to, to them, you know, doing their performance, which in some ways doesn't um, detract away from the fear. What are those cues? What practical steps would Jamie advise to an athlete in the final seconds before a dive? First and foremost, I'd like to think I wasn't given just a minute with them. Sometimes we can fall into that, that psychology is a quick fix. And of course, a lot of these things, you know, do take a lot of time. But it is kind of a real scenario, isn't it? You know, what are some of the things that you could do? I think it would be, you know, what are three things that you can do that will help you to deliver this performance? You know, and that could be around, I don't know, check-in equipment. It could be around looking at a certain thing it could be around regulating the breath it's but but it's like three things that will help you to deliver a performance that that often in that moment is quite critical because once people are in the performance it's like when you you open the exam paper 
and you read the question, sometimes the nerves generally quite kind of go because you're kind of like, well, I'm in it now. And and therefore things will you know hopefully the the learning will will take place. It's just that apprehension that people sometimes need a helping hand to get over. What can you do in those first three minutes to get you into the performance? Um, and in a similar way with the athletes you're talking about, you, you kind of need to get that helping hand to to get them into their performance. Because I'm guessing once they're in into that, they're highly proficient, highly skilled. They, they kind of know what to do. You or you probably wouldn't be doing it. What can we do in the moment to not overthink? not underthink, not worry about what it means, what it doesn't mean, who's watching. Just be very process-driven and uh, pick up on the right cues. Jamie says that a good athlete is a mixture of the innate DNA that makes someone up and also the socialised aspects that makes a cliff diver or rock climber better at handling fear. But are some people just built to withstand fear better than others? This is an extract from Red Bull's How To Be Superhuman, a podcast series which looks at incredible people who have pushed the limits of human endurance. In this clip, Emily Harrington, who free climbed the iconic El Capitan in just 24 hours, describes how fear is a very real thing, despite what some people might think. You said you're able to rationalise your fears, but when you're suddenly faced, not necessarily with El Cap, but something of that ilk again, do you feel fear? Yeah, I feel fear all the time. I think that a lot of people think that athletes like myself don't feel fear, that we have some sort of like glitch in our brains that doesn't allow us to to feel this emotion. I think that's a little bit unrealistic. I'm afraid all the time. I just have a really good relationship with like sort of allowing it to happen not really like shaming myself for it, not feeling bad about it. I used to beat myself up so much when I was younger, when I got afraid. And just like go to battle with all of my like demons and and just kind of like feel bad and feel like I wasn't good and, and all these things. And now I've sort of recognized that my fear can actually be a really interesting way of being strong. Mm. If I sort of allow it to exist. What I like to do is, is like, I tell people that I actually like feel the fear. Like if I'm feeling afraid of something, I, I let it exist there. Like I, I let it be very prevalent in my, in my consciousness. And I sort of ask myself like, why is the fear there? Like, am I in danger? Or is it more that I'm afraid of exposure because I haven't, you know, been in this situation in a long time. And if that's the case, then like, how can I sort of like push the envelope Little by little, like not like launch into the zone of discomfort really dramatically and like feel traumatized and never want to go back. How can I sort of like take baby steps to push that level slowly and so that the comfort just keeps growing little by little by little? I have a little mantra that I like to say when I'm when I'm climbing, and that is slow is smooth and smooth is fast. So just slow down really think about what's in front of me like the individual move in front of me and not the 3,000 feet of granite that I still have yet to climb but that said it is a it's a constant balancing act and it's a constant process and I think that that is at you know going back to the beginning of this conversation that's part of why I do it mm. um, I don't want to eliminate risk and danger from what I do every day and that's why I climb in a lot of ways 
Red Bull cliff diver Amy Harrison again. I came from the you can't be scared phase, like not allowed to show the fear, uh-huh. to the you have to acknowledge that it's there if you're going to be able to do this. But I do also understand that people who still are incredible athletes do all these dives and say you can't be scared because they just need to block those thoughts out. Some people, there's, I guess, different approaches. Some people succeed when they block those thoughts out. They just ignore them. They pretend they're not there. And for myself, it's, okay, I hear you. (laughs) Mm -hmm. You're there. You're scared. How do I respond to this? Mm -hmm. Um, and, And acknowledge it and work with it. How do I transition this very obvious feeling into something that can be positive or something that can be turned into the, the reinforcement or the correction that I want to perform? Jamie Barker says that nerves or worry can actually be a good thing. I guess it's having a routine of what are the things I need to do to make sure I can be as safe and consistent as possible. And that's probably routine-based, while recognising that, you know, I have to be considerate of the weather conditions, the environmental conditions, etc. You know, have I prepared my kit appropriately, all those type of things. So so in sport, we never want somebody who's 100% confident. Um, We often want people that if we could rate them are around about 85% confident. And and 15% of worry, doubt, anxiety, we know is really helpful because it that element of concern is motivational. People that are concerned about things will prepare. And if you go the other way, if you said, you know, 85% fearful and 15% confidence, that wouldn't work at all. You could see how that would lead to being paralysed, whereas actually 15% of worry and doubt, I'm concerned, I'm going to check my kit, I'm going to check the weather, I'm going to rehearse, I'm going to do what I need to do. That's where that that 15% of worry and doubt is, is really helpful. So how do you manage that 15%? Gary Hunt likes to juggle. Gary's a world champion and Commonwealth Games bronze medalist. But if he didn't make it as a diver, he might have had a very different career. Uh, I feel personally that my juggling training is uh, a big help to me, um, especially during the competitions, during the time that we're, we're waiting around for, for the competition. Uh, it's very easy during the competition to, to get stressed out, to get uh, to, to be thinking and overthinking the competition, the nerves of the competition. And I found that, um, that when I juggle, it, um, it really keeps my brain sharp. It keeps... Uh, keeps my reactions very uh, very quick but at the same time it, it takes me away from all the, the stress of the competition and um, and just it keeps me on my toes but at the same time a, a very good distraction from uh, from from the, the tiring uh, nerve-wracking weight that we have to go through at each competition yeah almost uh, almost every competition I'll have uh, some something now uh, either juggling clubs or, or juggling balls more often juggling balls because they're easy. Juggling isn't for everyone, but each athlete has their own ways to cope with the pressure. And sometimes that's just running through every single element of a dive before it happens in pursuit of an elusive goal, muscle memory. You rely heavily on muscle memory to offset the, the mental piece and trust in the process. Muscle memory is, is essentially it's a process of 
reorganizing and rewiring our nerves to make the, the brain-body connection stronger and faster and more accurate. We practice a new movement and we do it over and over again. We are, we are literally fabricating a new neural pathway. It's definitely something that we rely on. Um, and I think that it could help our cognitive processes when trusting what we've, we've learned is trusting the fact that even though our brain is sending these, maybe these untrusting messages or these negative messages, we know that if we're telling it, okay, I'm doing, I have to do a double half. I'm telling my brain, I have to do a double half. My brain goes, no matter what's happening in here and all the other spots, um, my brain is going to send double half to my muscles. So it is coming from the mental area, the cognitive area. It's saying to you in those moments might be fearful or negative. You know, muscle memory in particular is, is a popular psychological term that is, is based around the idea that our bodies remember certain movement patterns. But of course, that's not the reality of what happens. What, of course, is happening is through repetition and repetition and experience and experience. You know, our brains build up a database of movement and spatial awareness and um, decision making that of course then when we're called upon when we when we put it into competition or when we put our body and our brains into certain situations that those things happen because they're they're well ingrained and they're well trained you know it's that idea between an expert and a novice if you think about what is an expert an expert has that memory bank they've been in lots of different situations people often talk about flow states or i was in the zone and when when things happen effortless and easy, people often talk about this altered state of awareness where they're not really thinking about what's going on. And of course, sometimes when we go into high pressure Olympic finals, World Cup finals, you know, where there's life or death, there can be that that element of where we overthink and that idea of paralysis by analysis. Where does my hands need to go? Where does my feet need to go? When we start to go to that level of thinking, we know skill breaks down, what we call reinvesting. And that's the term that we use in terms of skill breakdown under performance. We're reinvesting to help our brain and body make sense of the situation in what we're doing. And that reinvestment basically uses up our, our, our mental capacity, our working memory, which then leads to us panicking or freezing or stopping so why why do athletes keep coming back to high diving it's an extraordinary discipline and not for everyone taking years of training in a highly specialized field for me personally um i'm 36 years old now and 10 meter diving is kind of a, a young sport you have to be so um <clears throat> so fast so uh, fast twitch and it's a lot more physical, I would say, uh, compared with for 27 meters, which is a lot more mental, more risk involved, and uh, and that's why you don't see a lot of. Uh, there's only uh, a few, a small percentage of uh, 10 meter divers or 3 meter divers who transfer into cliff diving. It's the usual path. A diver grows up in the in the, the diving pool. Uh, training for the Olympic Games and then mm -hmm. at one point they will uh, decide to, to do high diving um, and now it's becoming more of a, a blurred line like uh, you see people like uh, Constantine who's, uh, who's now trying to compete in both the, the 10 meter and uh, the 27 meters and myself also but um, 
it's uh, yeah, there's a lot less athletes doing the 27 meters. Um, it's uh, it's not for everyone. You have to uh, really have a love for the for the game, for for the sport, and uh, and be really self motivated. Uh, you you made that choice. If you wanted to be a high diver, you you stopped your regular diving training and you went to, to do a diving show um, where there would be a, a, a small tank of water and then a big ladder could go up and, and get used to the height, but there wasn't really the option to, to keep training and competing in 10 meter um, at the same time as, as learning the high diving. But now there's, there's a few more options. There's a place to train in, in Austria, Area 47. There's a place in, in England. You know, there's a place in China. There's now somewhere in, in America that's being built. So you're, you're getting a few more options for, uh, for training. And the, the level of high diving is, is increasing a lot. And uh, you're getting more and more divers that are coming directly from 10 meter to to high diving and, and doing both at the same time. So the, the level of competition is, is rising. And if you do love it and you grapple with the fear enough to pull a jump off, the highs can be extraordinary. Just ask Rhiannon after her dive out of the hot air balloon. Here it comes. That was so fun. Yeah. Yeah, it was awesome. No, that felt so awesome. Saw everything coming around. This project came about from a simple Instagram message. Yeah, now for it to have come to life today is is so amazing. So um, for the last couple of months, I've had this in you know in the back of my mind, and although I've been preparing for the World Series, I've also been preparing for for this balloon dive today. So now that this is over, it's a weight off my shoulders. I'm relieved, I'm happy, I'm excited, and ready to, to start training harder and harder for the World Series. A cliff diver is one of the only athletes in the world who has the chance to understand a feeling like this. And that's what makes the sport so great. Years of planning, training, thinking, meditating, all incredibly necessary for the privilege of turning it all off for three short seconds and simply feeling the rush of pure movement. A moment where somehow while you're spinning hundreds of degrees per second while dropping faster than you would normally drive a car, time seems to simply stand still. Fear? That was something you left behind on the platform. Don't worry, if you're smart, you'll find fear again in just the right dose to keep you safe. The dive is over, you stop spinning, and the world starts turning again. Until the next time. This episode was adapted from articles on redball.com by Josh Sampiero. Amy, Gary and Rhiannon are just some of the competitors preparing for the new season of the Red Bull Cliff Diving World Series, which began in France on June 12th. The next stop is August 14th in Oslo, Norway. They'll be diving off the rooftop of the Opera House. You can watch the event live on redbull.com or the Red Bull TV app.